Okay, so we're starting off in the uh, what looks like a classroom here. Uh, can you tell me more about this, Dan? Sure. It's both a, a conference room, classroom, multipurpose. And this is where most of our collaboration goes on in here. Uh, this is where we host the open source Saturdays uh, each Saturday morning. And uh, we can reconfigure the room in different ways. We've, uh, we have right now we have these flip tables set up in small groups where, you know, groups of four or so can work together on localized projects. Uh, we also have it set up for uh, video conferencing. Um, so we can add people in from remote sites. Uh, we've also configured it in what we call theater mode, where we've had uh, the event you were at last week. We had about 30 people in the room for more of a, a presentation style uh, arrangement. And we've had a lot of good feedback in the new space that people are liking uh, this conference room. But it's very nice. We also have uh, a big bay window here that looks out over the lab space. So it can be uh, informative and distracting, depending on what's going on. But uh, it, it actually kind of pulls people out to see what's going on in the lab. And perhaps inspirational. Exactly. <laughs> Now, what we have here is a, a number of uh, desks and, well, not desks, but tables. It can be reconfigured in a variety of different ways and, and a, a nice big screen in the front. It even has a webcam up there so mm -hmm. you can do video conferencing and uh, live streaming. Yes. Well, for the Open Source Saturday, we'll connect that up uh, with a Google Hangout, a real simple way to do that. But uh, we've had remote sites check in. So we're really trying to spread this around the county so that we say that anybody can host an Open Source Saturday. All you need is two people and, a, and an Internet connection. It could be a table in Starbucks uh, or your kitchen table or anywhere. And uh, we've had, uh, from time to time, people join in remotely. And it's really just, they'll just pop in and they'll share what they're working on or ask some questions. But it's all about starting the dialogue. So there's a definitely benefit to physically coming together. You, you know, you can only do so much online. Uh, there's a lot more bandwidth, if you will, if we're face-to-face. -face. So we're trying to find the right combination of the connecting together in person in a single physical place, but also being able to connect different sites together to do the same thing. And it looks like this room serves as your office as well? Yes, uh, I have a desk over in the corner, and I don't like to call it my office. I like to say I don't have an office because I'm out and about throughout the space. But, uh, yeah, this is kind of my uh, uh, new home right now. Okay, great. Well, let's uh, go out to the lobby here. What do we have here? Well, this is actually our, this is the first room you walk into. It's uh, the design studio. So we're looking at a semicircular table here that has four seats around it and four laptops and a big screen TV in the center. Uh, and this is designed for small teams to collaborate. Right now we've got uh, SolidWorks up and running on one of the computers. Each of the computers can instantly switch up to the big screen so you can share what you're working on. And what we found is this is just a very natural focusing means for people to work together. Uh, whether you're working on a, a CAD design or technical problem or uh, a PowerPoint presentation or Word document, uh, to have a group of people work together in this method to collaborate very quickly uh, is very effective. It's also its counter height, so as we can just walk right up and join in the conversation very easily. And what we found is it's just like a natural uh, gravitation point for people to congregate here and work together and we found that people can get work done so much more effectively and efficiently in this method. Yeah, it's quite unique in that it is semi-circular. It's not your typical conference table. Mm -hmm. And it is really nice that it is counter height because uh, you can either work standing or sitting. Mm -hmm. And everybody has uh, an equal view at the monitor there in the middle, which makes collaboration great. Now, you also use things like Google Docs to collaborate in real time? Yes, yes, quite a bit. And that's always fun to see uh, four people in the same Google Doc <laughs> typing at the same time and it's amazing how fast things go when you when you are collaborating that way yeah that's really cool technology 
We also have a webcam on top of the big screen. So just like in the conference room, we can do uh, live streaming or uh, video teleconference right here. And that, that works out really well, too. So you can join in remotely into yeah. the session. Well, I got to tell you, Dan, every time I walk into this building, I've only been here three times, but every time I just get energized because, uh, you know, there's so much creativity and innovation and it just, it, it facilitates that process and, and all the collaboration going on is really inspiring. Well, thanks, Mark. That's exactly it. Thank you. That's, that's the theme uh, and feeling that we're trying to convey here and, you know, to make it very inclusive and inspiring and get people energized to invent, create, and uh, do more things. Yeah. Well, let's go look at some more stuff. Uh, the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, OSTP, was hosting a couple of events. <clears throat> they convened uh, the Nation of Makers, and there was a uh, maker-to-manufacturer initiative that the White House started. So uh, I had the opportunity to go back to two trips to the White House uh, in 2016 to participate in some great roundtables at a national perspective. Uh, and that's where I got a lot of insights into the maker movement and the transition to for entrepreneurs and manufacturing and how all this fits together. So it's fascinating. There's a lot of work going on around the country, uh, people connecting, makerspaces and incubators connecting to help push this effort. Oh, wow. And are you working with other makerspaces? Yes, yes. We're up. We're all online. Um, uh, they're all different. That's the the uh, interesting part about it. They're very tailored to the the local. Uh, communities trying to meet the needs. Our focus is a little bit more on technology. Others are focused more on uh, kind of like arts and crafts, things like that. But uh, everyone kind of connects to each other, and there's a lot of sharing of ideas. Uh, there's a Slack channel, which uh, I think is probably the world's largest Slack channel. You can't even keep up with it with all the, the makerspaces and incubators talking to each other. Oh, man, i got to check that out. <laughs> we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, this is a picture I mentioned the uh, the team from UCSD that had the, the uh, rocket launch. This is the rocket being tested here with liquid nitrogen. So this is a scene out the, the back door of our lab space. And there's a 20-foot liquid-fueled rocket uh, bolted into a test rig uh, with the 3D-printed engine at the bottom. And it's being pressurized with liquid nitrogen. And this is called a cold flow test. This is how you test a rocket without actually firing it. Mm. So you're testing all the cryogenics, because this is like several hundred degrees below zero. Uh, so you, instead of liquid oxygen and kerosene, which is rocket fuel, you're using liquid nitrogen and distilled water. So it's totally inert, totally safe, but you can fully functionally test the rocket in a, in a lab environment. Uh, this is something that they couldn't do on campus at the time. Now they can, uh, based on our procedures here, they've taken this back to campus and gotten permission to do it on campus where they should be doing it. Uh, but this is where we actually test fired the, the rocket here with liquid nitrogen to make sure everything's functioning properly. Wow, that's impressive. And we're getting into the electronics lab here. So we've got uh, soldering stations, test equipment, power supplies, a lot of things you'd see for uh, designing electronics hardware, but also emphasizing software and hardware coming together. Uh, right here, we've got a couple of uh, Raspberry Pi clusters. These are stacks of Raspberry Pi computers that are connected together, working with a cloud computing software. Uh, and actually, this was a project that we entered as OSML into a Department of Defense hackathon uh, this spring. And we won one of the prizes for seed, found, uh, seed funding to develop the product. Mm. So really, what you have here is four Raspberry Pis, one stacked on top of the other. You've got a power supply for all of them on top of that. And at the bottom, you've got a small network switch, which connects them all together, as well as connecting them to the outside world, I presume. Mm -hmm. 
And so what you have here is uh, uh, essentially a, a parallel processing machine. Is that right? Right. Or we call it a portable cloud or handheld cloud. So we're actually running um, uh, Ubuntu server, which is kind of new. We have a 64-bit Ubuntu server running on Raspberry. We didn't think that's possible, but it's out there. Yeah. So we have an industrial strength uh, Linux operating system running on a cluster of Raspberries, and then adding Kubernetes, which is a, a Docker container management system, on top of that, which you're seeing, that's really the, where the cloud comes into it. So all the functionality uh, that you have in an, like an industrial strength cloud computing environment is now scaled down to something that's literally portable. And that's what the DoD's interest was. Holy smokes, it's like a, a micro data center. Exactly. exactly. Do you have any specific apps in mind yet? The apps we're starting to, to look into, but the particular application that this hackathon was based on was for U.S. Special Forces. For They called it uh, edge computing and austere environments, which is a, a nice euphemism describing what they do. They need uh, more computing power to be able to make more decisions at the scene of action for all the different things that Navy SEALs and Green Berets do in all kinds of places where they probably don't have a lot of infrastructure. So the more computing power you can take with you is the more information you can process locally and the better decisions you can make at the scene of, of action. Mm -hmm. That's their interest. That's great. But the real beauty of what you got going on here, Dan, is that uh, people can come in here with, with new ideas, crazy ideas maybe, um, that n none of us have ever thought of and put this kind of technology to new and different uses and, and really advance the state of the art of one way or another. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, what else do we have? Okay, just wrapping up electronics, then we're transitioning over to the 3D printing lab where we have uh, two uh, FDM, uh, fused deposition modeling uh, 3D printers, basically printing objects out of plastic. So you start with a three-dimensional design that you did in our design studio with the, with the SolidWorks application. Then you can come out here and print it uh, in different types of plastic. Uh, generally, two different use cases we see uh, in kind of a prototype environment. One, it could be uh, an end item part that's unique. Nobody makes a part, so make your own. And if uh, the different kinds of plastics, if those materials are good enough, then that's your new end item part. You're done. The other case is maybe the part's going to be made out of metal, and some of the tools we'll see here in a few minutes. Uh, but doing an extra step of printing it in plastic to validate the dimensions, make sure it's going to fit before you go to the more expensive process of metal. We found that actually adding that extra step is key to rapid prototyping because it's actually, in the long run, faster and cheaper to find your mistakes early before you go to the more expensive process. Makes perfect sense. And uh, you don't have to own this equipment because it's right here. Exactly. And that's a good point. Uh, actually, we're a good transition to our member status board right here over the, the main wall in this part of the lab. We have a big status board, big chart that has names of, of people and their organizations and also by columns are all the different equipment. And there's different colored dots to show your driver's license. You have to be certified to use the equipment here. You can't just come in and start using equipment. So OSML staff trains everyone in the safe operation of the equipment to get you started. Um, and from this chart, anyone can look up, so it's a constant reminder of safety, but also it's some inspiration to see people that have gotten more dots than you have and who's, who the more experts are, and to encourage that collaboration in both directions. Wow, there's a lot of devices to get uh, certified on here. 
Yes, it's quite a few, and it's kind of a progression. Uh, the laser cutters probably are most popular. Uh, but we also, as I mentioned earlier, we have individuals, but we also have companies listed over here. And I'll point out Flux Power is a local company that makes lithium uh, ion batteries for forklifts and industrial purposes. So they're a small to medium sized manufacturer that's been growing, doing really well. Not a startup company, but they'll actually come here as a corporate member and do some of their R&D. So back to your point about the not having to buy all the equipment. That's a perfect example where at the right size company, kind of the small to medium size, it makes sense to come here, we'll train you how to use equipment and use our equipment for your research and development and then take it back and go into production in your own facility. Fantastic, it looks like you've got about 10 or 12 Flux employees who are uh, authorized to use, uh, looks like the laser cutter. Yep, that's been their primary thing, and they found that in their rapid prototyping process, it again, it made sense to do some of their prototyping with laser cut materials before they went to the more expensive process with metal. I see Cal State uh, University San Marcos is well represented here. Yes, we've done uh, two years in a row now. We've done some great projects with them where the senior physics class will spend part of the semester here. They'll get a lot of, you know, the theoretical uh, work in the classroom, and then they'll spend either four or six weeks here doing a, a design challenge. And last two years, we've done a high-altitude balloon project with them. Fantastic. What else do we have? Well, so moving on, here's our, our laser cutter. As I mentioned, our most popular machine. Uh, it's basically about a two-foot by three-foot bed, and you can cut and engrave a variety of materials, uh, different kinds of acrylics, different kinds of woods, plastics, uh, cardboard, even leather. Uh, we have people making everything from uh, prototyping products to jewelry. Uh, we have one uh, lady who's a member here that uh, has a micro-business at home. She designs and sells all kinds of uh, jewelry very artistic, and she's using a variety of materials, different kinds of hardwoods, acrylics, and even leather. And I think she's made about, last count was about 35,000 pieces of jewelry that she's sold online. I didn't realize you could use it for production. Uh, limited production, that's a good point. We, we really tend to focus on research and development. Um, her case is kind of the exception because very, very light production, not, not that often. But we don't, we don't want to be a production shop. It's, there are plenty of other uh, light manufacturers around here that can support that type of work. But we really want to stay focused on the R&D side. Sounds good. Now it looks like you have some uh, machine shop equipment here as well. Yes, we're getting into the metalworking side here. So we've got a, a small-scale CNC uh, milled and lathe computer numerical control. So basically it's a milled and lathe for cutting parts out of metal um, that can be either manually controlled or computer controlled. So again, starting with those designs we did in the design studio with SolidWorks in a CAD drawing, you can run it through a digital tool chain to produce what they call G-code, which is like PostScript for machines to do the cutting out of metal. So uh, the computer can actually control the machine to cut parts out of metal uh, in a defined way, in a repeatable way. So once you get that process down, you can keep making the parts. Uh, and a lot of times you can make parts that you really just couldn't do by hand. And how big of a part can you make with this? For these, uh, generally these are, I'd say like smaller than a loaf of bread is kind of the, the general size. So these are for small prototyping parts. But the advantage of this is uh, it's also these particular machines are very easy to learn. That's why we chose this. Uh, as opposed to the large full-scale industrial machines, which have a very steep learning curve and more specialized. Uh, I've got a bandsaw here, for a uh, horizontal bandsaw, liquid-cooled, for cutting metal. Uh, this is a real workhorse, gets a lot of use. 
Um, you can make very precise uh, clean cuts out of metal. Over here is a machine for it's our shear break and roller, so you can cut, bend, and roll sheet metal. So for sheet metal enclosures. And we're transitioning into the woodworking side where we have a compound miter saw for cutting a very precise complex angles with wood, uh, a bandsaw for cutting a variety of, of materials, a uh, vertical bandsaw, dust collection system where we keep all the sawdust down. And then the last piece back here, this large item is our panel saw uh, for cutting sheets of plywood or sheet material, acrylic for the laser cutter, for example. Uh, it looks just like the one at Home Depot, because it is. But it's a very, it's, uh, for cutting plywood, this is probably the safest and easiest way to do it. If you ever used a handheld circular saw on a table or a table saw to try to cut plywood, it's, um, it, it could be a little, little challenging, but this is a very safe and efficient way to do it. Fantastic. Can I use it for my home projects? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> okay, great. What else do we have? Oh, we've got a tool cart here, a rolling tool cart. Um, the, uh, it's always kind of, you know, based on solving problems. The original method we had were the old rolling red toolboxes with the drawers. And even though the drawers were labeled and sorted out, it was always tough to find tools because they're always getting rearranged and jumbled up. And a lot of frustration all around. So uh, Ariel, our lab manager, designed this rolling tool cart. So it's a vertical toolbox, if you will, with pegboard on both sides. So all your hand tools are all laid out and marked and labeled. It's very easy to find them. Uh, everything, everything has a place. It's very clear where it goes. And in the center, in between the two sides, there are a series of shelves where all the, the uh, hand power tools go. So your drills and saws and sanders all get tucked away in here. So the end result is very easy to find things, both for the members to find things and also to put things away. Very, very smart. And last thing in the back here, we've got a little corner section set up. You see the uh, MIT logo on that. That's a research project uh, uh, sponsored by MIT and some local uh, postdoctorate uh, graduates that are working in the area of optics. So there's a, a laser optics table in there, and they're doing some low-level laser experiments and sensor experiments. Uh, part of the work is with some of the industry like General Atomics and uh, I mentioned MIT. So we have some uh, scientists in there working. So that's kind of good inspiration too. So, um, is there anything else to uh, to look at or cover? Oh, I just mentioned uh, we have several shelf uh, shelf units up here that uh, is member storage. So each member gets a shelf where they can keep their materials and projects in progress so you don't have to carry stuff back and forth all the time. And tell me about membership. What's that involve? It's month to month, um, and we have different levels. Um, generally, it's 140 a month, and that gives you, think of it as like a gym membership. You have access to all the tools and equipment and all the people in here. It's a very collaborative space. Uh, and anytime that we're open, you can come in and make use of the equipment uh, and the tools we have. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much for that tour. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it.